Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. There are nearly 9,000 migrants and asylum seekers in Chicago. Most have arrived on buses from the country's southern border, and it wasn't long before the city ran out of resources and even space. Migrants are sleeping in vacant buildings, in overfilled shelters, even on the floors of police stations. Before leaving her post as mayor, Lori Lightfoot declared a state of emergency, saying the city was at a, quote, breaking point. So how did we get here? A new report from Block Club Chicago finds that the committee that was tasked with overseeing these immigration issues, well, it hadn't met in over a year. Block Club investigative editor and reporter Mick Dumkey has the details. Tell us more about the Committee on Immigrant and Refugee Rights. I mean, who's involved and what are they supposed to be doing? Well, it's a legislative committee of the city council. Uh, so it's a group of older people who have jurisdiction essentially over immigration issues. Um, and this committee was created in 2021 uh, to look over, basically keep watch on you know, economic issues, health issues, safety issues facing immigrants and refugees, as mm-hmm. the committee name suggests. Um, and for those who are not total wonks, uh, who don't hang out at City Hall all the time, <laughs> like like certain other people here, right? Uh, you know, the legislative committees are really, it's sort of like a subdivision of the full council. And uh, there are a number of committees, there are currently uh, 19 of them, Um, And they have jurisdiction over different subject areas. Their job is essentially to vet legislation and to provide oversight of city policies. And so what we found, as you mentioned, this committee during a time when this crisis built didn't even meet. Yeah. Okay. so that is the key finding here in in this reporting, Mick. And my mind was, was blown. How is that possible? Buses and buses of asylum seekers have been arriving here over the past year. So how could they not be meeting and asking questions, trying to come up with solutions even? Well, the short answer is that the chair, the chairperson of these committees has tremendous power. They have the power, you know, first of all, to decide whether to hold a meeting or in this case, not to hold a meeting. Mm. And the chair of this committee, um, recently retired Alderman Ariel Raboyres, uh, just didn't hold a meeting. And when I asked him about this, he said, well, no one told me to hold a meeting. No one was asking for a meeting. And when I continued to talk to him about it, what he really meant was that the mayor's office and the mayor's aides had not asked him to call a meeting. He said his colleagues hadn't hadn't asked him to call a meeting either. I mean, first of all, it's not the mayor's job to call a meeting of a legislative committee. These, as we all know from civics, uh, these are different branches of government. It's his responsibility. Um, and, but that, that really just illustrated what he thought his job was, which Mm. was to kind of serve the mayor and shepherd through initiatives. Yeah. I read on on that note, he, Raboyeris also said the staff of the committee, they stayed busy, like busy with what? That's right. He had, uh, three full-time staff people and obviously they weren't doing much committee work because the committee wasn't active. So I said, well, when they're not doing committee work, do you have them doing work in your ward? he said, well, they better be. Uh, you know, saying that he doesn't want them just sitting around, but that's not what their job is. Their job is under the city budget, which is passed and becomes a law. 
uh, this money, taxpayer money, is allocated so that uh, the committee staff can do research, so they can, you know, do the work to prepare the committee to hold hearings Mm -hmm. and to hold meetings, again, to provide oversight and do legislative work on behalf of the people of Chicago. And they weren't doing that. He was using them, basically, he said, to uh, take care of services in his ward, which is, uh, if yeah. true, is better than total waste, but that's not what the money's supposed to be for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even thinking in-house, right? I, I'm, I'm thinking of Team Reset, Mick. If folks are tasked with something and it doesn't get done, I mean, there are people who are going to come and ask questions that we would have to answer. So so that we're clear, I mean, did, did this committee have to report to someone? No, there's no one to really report to. I mean, the chair is the person who has a responsibility, oversees the committee. So it's all on Reboiris. It's all on him, although let's just talk in reality how politics works here. Uh, The committees traditionally have answer to the mayor. That's why the system is broken, is it really depends on the particular chair. Um, Traditionally, the mayor has come in and decided who the chairs of these committees are, Mm -hmm. I mean, just think about that. This is the executive, again, deciding who the leaders of the legislative branch and the legislative process should be. So there's a form of kind of soft corruption. There's a form of government corruption that occurs. We're crossing lines here. Crossing lines. You know, the the oversight, the ability to look out for, um, make sure the policies are fair, just, effective, money isn't wasted. That is undermined when you have the the executive branch involved. So... um, I think a lot, traditionally, a lot of committee chairs feel that they owe this assignment, they owe this job Mm -hmm. to the goodwill of the mayor, whoever the mayor is. This wasn't limited to Lori Lightfoot. This has gone back decades. And in this case, I think that certainly was true. Yeah. Given what we're used to here in this city, too, I'm I'm interested in your your term there, soft corruption, right? Well, it's yeah, it's not a... a, and brown envelope passed under a table <laughs> right. in, a, in an old diner. But, but, it, but it did uh, stick out to me, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's something that's broken, for sure. Is it typical for a city council committee, though, to, to just not meet very often? Is that Sadly, pretty standard? Well, they're all over the place. There are committees that meet every month, even more frequently than every month. That's really what they should be doing if it's a committee that has... A legitimate purpose, yeah. quite frankly. Um, but there are a number of others. I had a follow-up story that came out this morning about a couple of other committees that haven't met since September. Um, Which and ones? Aviation Committee. There's been a lot that's happened at the airports. We had a meltdown of Southwest Airlines. Absolutely. Homeless encampment at O'Hare. The committee hasn't Picketing. done anything. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. All this stuff. The other one um, we looked at was uh, Contracting Committee. Uh, Chicago traditionally has had a problem with you know, lack of minority contracting, which that trickles down into the neighborhoods. Uh, we have a mm. major problem here is segregation and disinvestment. But this committee has not met in eight months, going on eight months either. Wow. And so back to this this immigration committee, I mean, they finally did meet late last month. So, so that we're clear, what ended up happening there? Well, they had a three-hour hearing. Okay. It was a, a really, um, in my humble opinion, it was a uh, a robust discussion. They were really talking about the issues. There was a lot of, there were a couple of city officials who are um, in the thick of trying to coordinate, you know, the somewhat haphazard response to the migrant arrivals. And a lot of older people had good questions. They had good exchanges. But after three hours, um, Alderman Reboiris uh, 
basically declared an end to the meeting and they didn't do anything. Mm. They didn't, I mean, they had a discussion and that was out, you know, it was available for the public to follow along with. So there's value in that, but they didn't pass any legislation. They didn't initiate anything. Um, so it ended up being a three hour gripe session. Um, wow. I mean, wow. let's, let's be that must honest. have been fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on your idea. I mean, really, it's very dispiriting, to be honest with yeah. you, because you had a lot of other people saying things like, um, we should have known that this crisis was coming. We've had signs for months and months and months. Where's the communication been? Uh, we even had one other person, uh, Maria Haddon in the 49th Ward, volunteered to set up essentially an ad hoc group to improve communication. Mm-hmm. but. That's what the committee was supposed to be for in the first place. So we came, kind of came full circle there. So that, yeah, that's the part I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around. A point you made earlier, right, that, that part of understanding this whole thing is just understanding how city council and committees themselves actually work. And you wrote in the story that the um, the council's legislative committee system is actually what is at the center of these failures. So I'm just... My thought is, what is the point then of these of creating these committees that, like you said, essentially they don't really do anything? Some some do. In fairness, there are some. Uh, the finance committee is seen as the most powerful committee. Okay, that committee meets usually at least once a month, and it uh, is responsible for basically holding a hearing on and ultimately voting on every major financial undertaking that the city has on the table, whether it's a, a tax subsidy, whether it's a bond issue, I mean, big money items. So that does something. But I think for people who um, who follow national politics, maybe one way to explain this is to briefly note that like the U.S. Senate has a judiciary committee. Mm-hmm. So for instance, every time there's a nomination to the Supreme Court, it's the job of the judiciary committee to hold hearings for the Supreme Court nominee. And not only do they hold hearings, but there are staff who research the backgrounds of the judicial nominees and so forth. And then uh, obviously we have a, a lot of uh, partisan battling uh, in, in Congress. So there's a quite vigorous set of hearings about something like that. Yeah. That's what's supposed to happen on a local level with I these see. committees. These committees have jurisdiction over different subject areas. Um, you know, this transportation committee, when there's something involving the streets, uh, you know, an, an alley or something. The transportation committee is supposed to take that up. The budget committee holds hearings every year on before the city council passes the city's budget and so on. So what we're talking about here is a number of these 19 committees. Mayor Johnson wants to increase it to 20 um, at the city council meeting tomorrow. Uh-huh. Uh, but a number of them that have been created they seemingly have important jurisdictions, but they just don't do very much. And so your question is, back to your question, why do they exist? They exist, frankly, as political plums. They are given out to uh, usually f- to loyal alder people because then they have a budget they control. They have a number of staff positions they control. What does the funding for these look like? The funding can range from like a hundred, hundred fifty thousand 150000 on up to... I think the finance committee is a million dollars a year. So together... this this immigrant committee? This immigrant committee, uh, to be honest, I forget what the exact budget is, but I know they spent, while they weren't meeting, they spent about $200,000 mostly on staff people. While they weren't meeting. So this is between, you know, pandemic, right? Between 2021 and 2022. Yeah, exactly. Very interesting find, Mick. Um, So uh, 
Reboiris, he's not running for re-election. So looking ahead, is this committee going to continue? You said Brandon Johnson wants to add an additional committee. But, I mean, what's the plan for, for this and for addressing the migrant crisis specifically? I think, I mean, since week one, we've been wondering what exactly the mayor is going to do. Well, he has not announced a specific plan on the migrant crisis, and he has um, named the person he would like to see leading the immigration committee going forward, Andre Vasquez, uh, alder person of the 40th Ward on the north side, um, who himself has been very involved in trying to respond at the ward level Mm -hmm. to what's going on uh, with the arrival of of the migrants. Andre didn't want to talk about this, Alder Person Vasquez, to be uh, respectful, didn't want to talk about this on the record because he's not in the job yet. Understand that. Um, And so what's important is tomorrow that the city council is supposed to meet for its first official business meeting um, since the inauguration. So Mm -hmm. there's a whole new crop. There's 13 new Alder people in, in addition to 37 veterans returning. And the main order of business is to vote on the committee chairs and the committee assignments. I see. And uh, once again, the mayor, this time Mayor Johnson, has uh, announced the people he would like to see in those positions. And if the city council goes along with that, they will essentially be ceding their power as an independent legislative body to the mayor. They're allowing the mayor to make the picks of who yeah. their own leaders will be. Very interesting. I mean, and what are your thoughts while we're still talking about Johnson, his approach to maintaining transparency in the city council? Well, to his credit, he's announced who he wants. These are... Uh, Which is a, a good thing. He made the, he made the calls uh, to people. I've heard summaries from another all their people about the calls they got saying, hey, I, I would like you to be this. Are you Are you on board? And so forth. But he did announce this ahead of time. Um, so that the transparency part, I think, checks out. Um, and, you know, his allies will point out, look, what mayor would possibly give up power that's sitting there, especially a mayor who comes in. He, he won a solid victory, but not an overwhelming victory. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people who are concerned that he's too progressive. So, listen, if you're being smart, you're on his team, you're going to say, why would we give this thing up when it's there? We want to control the process as much as we can so we can advance the agenda. If you're a good government type, you say, well, this may lead to progressive policies, but it's not good government. Mm, yeah. Well, you put out another piece today. You said, are, are you going to continue looking into this? Uh, I think the people at, at City Hall know I'll keep watching what's going <laughs> on. Yeah. They're, they're sick of you at this point. <laughs> You're doing your job. I'm trying. That's thanks. Mick Dumkey, Block Club Chicago investigative editor and reporter. Thanks for breaking that down. Hey, thanks for having me. This episode of Reset was produced by Maha Ahmed, and it was edited by Stephanie Kim and Ethan Schwab. Go behind the headlines every week by subscribing to the Reset podcast. And if you have a fellow news junkie in your life, have you shared this podcast with them? Word of mouth is still the best way for new listeners to find our show. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll see you back here tomorrow morning.
If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerd Up podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerd Up wherever you get your podcasts.